Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. As a church, as we've been approaching Christmas, we've been looking at the names and the character of the promised Messiah, that he is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and today we look at Jesus as Prince of Peace. So to begin, I'd like to take you back to Christmas Day, 1914. It is World War I, and the German and British troops have been fighting in the trenches for five months. But on Christmas Day, the German troops start singing. Still enough. And the British troops respond, Silent night, holy night. Okay, you guys are worried that I'm going to keep on singing. I'm not, I'm not, okay? Vincent is the singing pastor. I am definitely not. But there was this, this joy that was breaking forth, right? And the German soldiers emerge first out of the trenches, and they approach the Allied lines. And they started calling out, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas in English, And at first, the Allied soldiers thought, this is a trick, right? But then they looked, and the the German soldiers were unarmed. So they, too, climbed out of their trenches, and they walked across no man's land, and suddenly enemies were shaking hands. The men then exchanged gifts of cigarettes and food, and they sang carols together. And there's even a well-documented case of them playing a game of soccer together. So here it is. 1914, soldiers, enemy soldiers are playing soccer together. It was such an epic event that it made the newspaper at the time. This was the newspaper heading, Christmas troops at the front. These guys, they had been at war for five months. They had been in the trenches, and they saw the ugliness of war, and they were desperate for peace. And then they had this small glimpse of peace as they came out of the trenches. But here's the thing. The very next day, they climbed back in their trenches and they started shooting at each other again. Now, sometimes that can feel like a family Christmas lunch, right? We kind of, we spend the year in the trenches fighting with one another And then Christmas Day, we all get together, we exchange presents, we sing carols, and then the next day, we go back to the trenches, firing bullets at each other. But like the German and British troops in 1914, Israel, in Isaiah's day, was desperate for peace. They had been oppressed by foreign powers. So when Isaiah, he announces for to us a child is born... A son is given, and he's going to be called the Prince of Peace. That's what he says in verse 6. Everyone is excited. But just a few verses before that, this is what it says. In verse 4, it says this. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampian warrior and the battle torment and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt 
as fuel for the fire. In verse 4, Isaiah is making reference to Gideon, right? Now, Gideon, God used Gideon to break the, the Midianites who were oppressing Israel. They were coming and attacking Israel. And God used Gideon. But Gideon, when you get to know him, he is the most unlikely hero you could imagine. He's completely reluctant to do what God has asked him to do. And eventually he does it, right? Out of duress, he says, okay, I'll do it. And he gathers his army. He's got 32,000 men, which he thinks mm, it's not quite enough against the Midianites. And God does this. He reduces his army to 300. Just to prove to Gideon that it's not Gideon who's winning the battle the battle belongs to the Lord. And then he gives Gideon this incredibly strange battle strategy. He tells Gideon, listen, get your men to blow their trumpets, smash jars, light torches, and wave them at night. And that's exactly what Gideon did. And by doing that, it literally put the fear of God into the Midianites. And they panicked, and they started attacking and fighting and killing one another. So on that day, the Lord won the battle, Midianites are defeated, and after that, Israel has peace. But it wasn't a lasting peace. But Isaiah says he's looking forward to a liberator that's even greater than Gideon, that's going to bring about a victory, bring about a peace that is greater than Gideon could have ever won. And in verse 5, it tells us that the peace that would come wouldn't just be a short-term peace. It would be a lasting peace. Because it says that the soldier's sandals and the warrior's clothes would be burnt. No soldier, no warrior burns their clothes unless the war is over. And he said it's going to be such a day that peace would come that the soldiers would burn all their clothes. Because the battle would be finished. You had won. But here's where Israel missed it, right? And we can miss it too. They thought peace is just the absence of war and conflict, right? Israel thought, listen, the real problem is our enemies. If we could just get rid of our enemies, then we'd be fine. And the truth is we can think that too sometimes. Right? If we just get rid of them, then we'll be okay. Maybe for some of us, it's that difficult colleague at work. And you're like, oh, man, if they could just get another job somewhere else, then we would have peace. Or maybe it's that awkward family member, right? You're kind of like, oh, my goodness, they did that again. Like, if they could just move interstate, then we would have peace. Maybe for some of us, it's looking at others and looking at their political convictions and saying, oh, man, if we could just, just get rid of them, then we'll have peace. But the truth is, once you kind of get rid of one enemy, a new enemy tends to appear. But that's not what Jesus says, right? He says, I will bring you lasting peace. Uh, I know as a parent... Uh, you have those moments, right, when your kids are going crazy and you think to yourself, can you please go outside and play? Just give me five minutes of peace. Yeah. But you know what? That isn't peace. That's fake peace or just part-time peace, right? The prince of peace 
promises us a peace that is real, that is full, and that is lasting. And he says the key to finding this peace is actually in a beautiful piece of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's look at Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 13 and a little bit of 14, and this is what it says. It says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. So Paul starts off and he says, listen, this is what you need to know. This is the definition of what true peace really is. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what is peace? And in Hebrew, the word for peace is the word that we all know quite well. It's the word shalom. Now, shalom literally means complete or whole, in perfect harmony. Like peace is oneness. It's sharing mutual enjoyment. It is being one. Anything else than completeness is just superficial, it's temporary, and we all know it is highly unsatisfactory. So shalom can actually refer to a wall that is complete, that has no gaps. It is in a state of shalom, perfect harmony, right? And the idea of true peace is that life is complex, it's got many, many different parts, but they can all work together and be in harmony, then we have shalom. But if some of these go missing and get out of, the gaps form in the wall and it is no longer in a state of peace. And the truth is, that's what it means to bring peace. It means to mend a broken wall. And we all have broken walls because our peace is not complete. And here we go. The Apostle Paul tells us this is the secret of peace. Peace is a person. And he says it like this. He is our peace. You see, when Jesus makes peace, he is mending our broken walls. He's putting us all back together. And it is a genuine peace. It is a lasting peace. And what Paul is saying, in order to have peace, you need to be at peace with Jesus. Only when you have peace with him, then you can start resolving the conflict in your life. That is the place on which we start. What we tend to do is we tend to take the little bits and pieces and try and fix them ourselves, putting them back into the wall. And other pieces then start falling out. And we're just left with all this, this rubbish and baggage and we can't do it. And our peace is broken. And Paul says, the answer to that is a person. It begins with a person. Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner. 
uh, in the late 1930s and the early 1940s. And when World War II broke out, he enlisted in the U.S. Army. And uh, in 1943, he was sent out on a search and rescue mission in his airplane. He was looking for another plane that had been shot down. And they were flying over the ocean, and their plane went down. And everybody except three people were killed in that crash. But they found their life raft, and three people climbed into the life raft. And after about two weeks, one of the three died. So just left Louis Zamperini and another soldier on that raft. And they were on that raft for 47 days. And after 47 days, they finally were found. But they were found by the enemy, the Japanese Imperial Army. And the Japanese took them in, and they put them in a prisoner of war camp, they were severely beaten. They were mistreated every day until the end of the war in 1945. But Louis Zamperini was particularly targeted by one of the gods known as the bird. And the bird had found out that Louis Zamperini was an Olympic athlete. And he took every opportunity to humiliate him, to torture him, to try and break him as much as he could. And Louis Zamperini thought to himself, if we could just be liberated, if we could just be rescued from the camp, then I would have peace. Then peace would come. And the day came, and they were liberated, 1945. And for a few months, it felt like peace. He went back to the U.S., and when he got home, he got a hero's welcome. Soon afterwards, he married his sweetheart, Cynthia, but he still did not have peace. He longed for this peace that he didn't have. And Louis Zamperini started struggling with these nightmares that he would have of him back in the prisoner of war camps. And in these nightmares, he would begin strangling his captors. And it got so bad that one day he woke up and he had his hands around his wife's neck having one of these dreams. And he was searching for this peace. So he began drinking really heavily and, of course, just broke any peace that he and his wife had. And it got worse and worse. And he became obsessed with getting revenge. If he could just get back to Japan and have revenge on his captors, then he would have peace. But one day, his wife goes to Billy Graham crusade. She hears the gospel preached, and she becomes a Christian. And being a faithful wife, she doesn't stop there. She urges her husband, you need to go along and listen to this man. And reluctantly, Zamperini finally falls. He goes, okay, okay, I'll go. At the preaching of Billy Graham, Zamperini gets convicted about his sin, about the holiness of God, about the lack of peace that he really has. And there and then, Zamperini commits his life to Christ, and he surrenders himself to the Prince of Peace. And soon after that, he forgave his captors. And when he forgave his captors, the nightmares stopped, and peace came. 
And this is what someone else who knew Zamperini really well at the time said this. They said, at that moment, something shifted sweetly inside him. It was forgiveness. Beautiful, peaceful, and complete. And then here's a beautiful part. For Louis Zamperini, the war was over. He had found real peace. Real peace. Because he had met the Prince of Peace. You see, here's God's promise to us as his children. He says, he, Jesus Christ, is our peace. And once you put your life in his hands and your own heart is at peace, then with his peace you are able to face these little broken situations and through his peace allow him to put them back together. But Paul doesn't finish there. He says there is a process to this peace, right? There are three things that need to happen in order for there to be complete shalom, complete harmony, complete forgiveness. And he says this is what the Prince of Peace, Jesus, can do. And this is the way he does it. Three things. Number one, he breaks down a wall. Number two, he builds a new wall. And number three, he bridges a wall. So, number one, breaking the wall. Verse 14 and 15 says this, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. See, what Paul is talking about right here is the conflict that existed between Jews and Gentiles of his day, right? He says the first thing Jesus did was to break down a wall, a wall that divided, and it was a wall of hostility that existed. See, Paul, is, he was raised a Jew, he was a Jew, he knew the temple, and at the temple, there was a wall. I'll show you a picture of it. Uh, and you can see the wall had a, a wall that divided the outer courts and the inner courts. And the outer courts were for the Gentiles. And the inner courts were for the Jews. And the Gentiles were not allowed into the inner courts. If they went to the inner courts, there was a big sign that said, if you do, if you are not Jewish, and you enter into the inner courts, you do so at the pain of death. Now, what Paul is saying is that wall is a symbol, and that wall brought hostility. But here's the thing, that wall in Christ Jesus in his flesh was destroyed, it was demolished. Right, you see, you have to understand this. The Jews, at best, they kind of treated the Gentiles with indifference. But at worst, they, they despised them. They hated them. There was enormous hostility between these two groups. And you know what? There can be walls that we have too. They are broken walls. Walls where we have gaps. And there is no peace. 
There can be walls like that in our homes. There's hostility and distrust between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between neighbors and friends. And we know it. When these walls of hostility rise in our hearts, what do you feel? You begin to feel anger and resentment and bitterness, and you, can, you kind of say to yourself, it's no use. Really, there's nothing that we can do. They will never change. They are the problem. They are the enemy. But Paul says, the prince of peace knows how to remove these walls. And Paul says he does it this way. By abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances. That is the way. You see, the law created this hostility. You see, what happens is, is, is we know this, right? What, what kind of creates hostility and resentment towards someone is, is you come across and you're like, I'm right. They're the one at fault, right? I, I have this self-righteous demand on you, but, but I'm not guilty, right? You're the one with the problem, not me. And you must change, not me. I'm, I'm fine, right? You are the problem. And that creates hostility between you. So my wife, uh, Irina, and I, we have a pretty good marriage, and we're chilled about most things. But when we get into a car together, a wall of hostility arises. There's me in the driver's seat, and then there's my wife in the passenger seat. And there's this wall of hostility. You see, in my mind... I know where I'm going, and I know how to get there. In my wife's mind, she's thinking he doesn't know where he's going, and she doesn't know how to get there. And both of us have this self-righteous, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm right, right? Even last night, we were on our way to Victoria Square to, to catch up with friends that we haven't seen in a really long time. This Christmas show that was on, the family was going, and there we were, in the car, wall of hostility, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right. And in the back of my car, my dear mother was looking, oh, look at these buildings, right? <laughs> Trying to break down the wall of hostility, and it didn't work, right? We got out of the car a little bit grumpy, and we were in this beautiful place with family, but there was a wall of hostility, and it only comes down when you go and ask and say sorry, and by the way, my wife was right. So, yeah, let's just leave it at that, right? <laughs> okay. uh, but you see, the Jews, they despised the Gentiles. And we have to understand why they despised the Gentiles. You see, because they really considered themselves better than the Gentiles, right? They said, we have the law of Moses, right? The law is right, it's true, it reflects the character and nature of God. You Gentiles, oh, oh you just, you, you don't have the law, right? And the Jews, in their blindness and self-righteous hypocrisy, they thought because they didn't do some of the outward external stuff that the law prohibited, that they were somehow so much better. And they, therefore, they hated and despised the Gentiles because they thought, we are superior. We have it right, and you have it wrong. 
But the Gentiles, on the other hand, they weren't being fooled. They looked at the Jews and they knew that they were self-righteous and hypocrites. And so there was this intense hostility between them. And this war just was a symbol that reinforced this hostility. So you know what Jesus' solution is? Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? The law judges both of you alike. And that will end the hostility. See, Paul puts them on the same level. He says the, the law puts you guys on the same level because this happens. Jews, you need forgiveness. You need grace. Gentiles, you need forgiveness. You need grace. And when that happens, when the light comes on that both of you need grace, both of you need forgiveness, the wall of hostility breaks down. That's what Jesus says happened with the law. He says he fulfilled the law within himself, right? He showed them how the law was meant to be fulfilled. And when the Jews looked at his sinless, perfect life, they knew they were just as guilty as the Gentiles. So Paul's making this argument. He says, guys, there is no difference. There is no difference between being Jewish and being Gentile because you all stand on the same ground. The Jews need to be forgiven and the Gentiles need to be forgiven. And you both need peace with God. So our Prince of Peace gives them a common ground of forgiveness to stand on. And he says, that is what ends hostility. He just breaks the wall and a whole bunch of people just woke up. <laughs> Guys, I, I see this a lot with uh, parents and children. You know, as parents, and I know this temptation myself, where we think that we always have it right and that we, we are never wrong, right? And that our children are always the ones at fault. But you know, our, our, <laughs> amen. <laughs> One of them's got it. Where our children see that, right? And they see the hypocrisy and it just builds resentment. It builds hostility. And it's when parents can say, you know what? I'm learning too. I get it wrong. <laughs> I need God. I need his grace to be a parent as much as you need God's grace to be a child. That's when there is forgiveness and there is harmony and there is peace. Guys, and the same is true between friends, between church leaders, between our brothers and sisters in church. Hostility comes when we have this self-righteous demand on others, you are at fault, not me. And Jesus says, remove that demand and the hostility ends. The wall comes down. And the truth is we need to let Jesus break down our wall, break down that wall. So that's what he does. Number one, he breaks down a wall. But number two, he builds a new wall, right? The prince of peace is not merely content with just ending the hostility. He goes so much further. This is what it says. He says, 
that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Do you see that word create? Only God can create, right? God takes something out of nothing and he creates something. God takes a situation which is broken, it is nothing, and he makes something new, completely new out of it. And what he's doing here is he makes a new humanity, a new unity which never existed before. You see, Paul is saying, in Christ, there is now no Jew, no Gentile. The Jew doesn't need to become a Gentile, and the Gentile doesn't need to become a Jew. There is a new man, a new humanity is being created. What Jesus is saying, there is a new wall being built. But it is not a wall that divides. It is a wall that brings people together. In fact, what he's saying is, you are that wall. It's a wall where you have different pieces, but they come together, and they support each other, and they are connected together, and it is new, and it is a new unity. After Louis Zamperini became a believer, he also became an evangelist. His life had been so changed by the peace that he had found that he wanted to tell others about it. And uh, he really had one of the great themes of forgiveness, right? Because his, his life was a, a living example of what it meant to be forgiven and to offer forgiveness. So he did make it to Japan. And he went back to the very prisoner of war camp, which he had been mistreated. Here it is. There he is standing outside. Now, Louis Zamperini went into that camp. He met his former prison guards who had tortured him, who had beaten him, who had humiliated him and ridiculed them, and he told them, I forgive you. And then he told them about Jesus, and he told them about the forgiveness that they could have in him. And some of those gods, some of those captives responded. And suddenly there was this new humanity. There was this new man. But before where there was just a wall of hostility and anger and bitterness, suddenly there was peace. And there was a new man because of the prince of peace. Number three. He builds a wall, and then he bridges that wall. This is what it says, verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility, killing hostility. In other words, what Paul is saying here, ultimate peace must be with God. Any man or woman, parents or children, husband and wife, wherever there has been conflict and it has now been resolved and we are now in a, our wall has been broken down and we are a new humanity, we begin to look at each other and we say that you and me have been accepted and forgiven by God. But we have to be very careful because slowly, we can build those walls again. 
And we do it when self-righteousness begins to raise in us, right? We begin to look at the other, and we begin to say, you know what, I, I didn't need as much forgiveness as you. You were, you were really bad. I was just a little bit bad, but you were really bad. That's when self-righteousness really starts in our hearts again. And Paul reminds them, guys, both of you are on the same standing before God. Both of you need forgiveness, and you continually need forgiveness. And that's when hostility is brought to an end. That's where Paul says, thereby killing hostility. It is a total end to it. You see, in the temple, there wasn't just a wall between the outer, outer courts and the inner courts. There was also another chamber called the Holy of Holies. And in this very place, it was God's very presence in the Holy of Holies. Only a priest could go in, and he could only go in once a year into God's very presence. But you know what? When Jesus died, the curtain separating the inner court and the Holy of Holies was torn right in two. And Jesus builds a bridge right into himself. Now everybody can have access to the Prince of Peace. Jews and Gentiles are now welcome into his very presence because he builds a bridge. On that Christmas day in 1914, those soldiers enjoyed a little bit of part-time peace, right? A little bit of peace that came. But it didn't last, right? Guys, we don't, we don't want that. We don't want to settle for part-time peace in our lives where we know we're going to go back into the trenches and fight again. Right? They sang carols and they exchanged food, but I want you to notice they never took off their soldiers' uniforms and burnt them because they knew they were going back to war. They knew that the little peace that they had would not last, that the hostility and the war were still there. But the Prince of Peace gives us the real thing. You know, the Prince of Peace doesn't just bring an end to war. He brings peace where it is most needed. And that is between God and us. And you know what? He doesn't stop there. The Prince of Peace says, burn your war clothes. Take off your battle garments and burn them because the war is over. Allow him to be your peace. So he breaks that wall of hostility. He builds a new one. He builds us into a new humanity and he bridges the gap between us and God himself so that now, this day, we can go directly to the Prince of Peace ourselves. And I want to finish like this. If there's anyone here today where you've, you've never had peace, you feel that your life is always being at war, you've had a few moments where you've climbed out the trench, but you always seem to be back in the trench fighting. The answer is not trying to pick up the pieces and put them back together. 
The answer is peace is found in a person. Jesus is that person. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You need to meet him. But I also want to say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, but there is this absence of peace in your life, there are walls of hostility wherever you turn. I believe the Lord is asking you, is have you burnt your battle clothes? Have you just come out of your trench for a little bit of part-time peace, but you are unprepared to take off those battle clothes and burn them and let him be your prince of peace? I'd like to invite the band back up. We're going to finish with a beautiful hymn called In Christ Alone. And that is the answer. It is in Christ alone we find our peace. And then we are able to live out this peace. Would you stand with me? I'd love to pray for us. Father, we want to thank you that you came as a wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Lord, I thank you that you offer us peace with yourself, that you break down walls of hostility, that you build us into a new humanity. And Lord, that you've bridged the gap that we can go directly into your presence. We thank you for Jesus and all that he has done. Lord, I pray that this week where we have moments of conflict and war, Lord, that we would be reminded again that you are our Prince of Peace and that we can run to Jesus gentle and strong. Lord, we love you. Amen.